Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And if you're listening, we've picked up again with some, um, some podcasts with innovators in education. We've also started a short series called Future Ready based on some of the research that I've done with John Eckert, Lynn Swanner, and Matt Lee um, on innovation and sustainability in schools. But we're coming back today because we're at the beginning of a month. Um, and we're well into the school year, and we've been doing this now for almost a year and a half. Um, and I'm with my friend Dennis Eastman. Dennis, how are you? Great, great to be here. Awesome. And so we're here in the podcast series that we've been doing monthly on stories and becoming more human, where we ask an educator to tell a story or share an anecdote about a, a time where a student impacted them and changed their life and changed who they were as a person as as well as a professional and then we we talk about the things that we love to talk about in education and so today i'm with somebody who i got to know through baylor she's a doctoral student and she's one of my favorite people to follow on twitter uh, <laughs> trinice brown warrens so trinice before we ask you that question and you tell us a story Give yeah. us a little bit of a snapshot of who you are as an educator and, and a little bit of where you work. Okay, so currently I am the proud principal at Markham Elementary School. So this is my first year as a principal. Um, before that, I was an assistant principal and I've been a school counselor. I've worked at the district office. I also was a teacher specialist. Um, I was over science and social studies at a middle school. I was a middle school eighth grade U.S. history teacher. I was a teacher's assistant in special education and I was an intern. And honestly, today on Facebook, it popped up um, that eight years ago today, I actually started my internship for my school counseling degree at an elementary school today. So that's kind of been my journey. It's been eight years. Unbelievable. And so somewhere there's a lot of questions that I have for you as you kind of watch your journey. But before we get there, tell us a story about an experience that you had as a as an educator that with a student that, you know, it's kind of that reverse where we often talk about the impact that we've had on students. But tell us a story about an impact where a student interaction or a relationship with the student impacted who you are as a person and a professional. Yeah, that as I think about that, it goes back to my first year teaching. I was an eighth grade U.S. history teacher in Houston, Texas. My campus was 98% Hispanic. Um, and it was just a, just a different experience for me. And so the student that impacted me the most, her name was Katia. And she was in the eighth grade with me. And I had the opportunity of starting a business club. So it was a really interesting thing that happened because my AP asked me, to go to do this field trip, but it was a science field trip. And I was like, I'm a history teacher. But my AP had this way of making me do things without, you know, it was interesting. So I went on this field trip and here I am on this field trip and it's about science. And so I was looking around, I'm a first year teacher, I'm looking around the room and I watch all the other adults sit down, lift up their computers and start working. That's what I really thought was going to happen. Not with me and my kids because they've never gone anywhere. So they didn't know what to do. So they were like, all right, Ms. Brown, where are we going first? I said, you are going to go, 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 go. And so I ended up going with them to these different sessions. And I was in a session with the University of Houston um, with their director. He was over the entrepreneur program and he was talking to the kids about entrepreneurship and things of that nature. 
And he looked at me and, and I always get this look where people just kind of look at me and they shake their finger, go, there's something different about you. And so he handed me his card and he goes, let's connect. And I was like, whatever. I don't even know what's going to happen. The kids were like, are you going to call him? And I was like, yeah, I guess I am now because you asked me. Well, it turns out that he had a senior that was looking for a project to do her senior project, which was to keep, teach kids how to start their own businesses. I'm a young and spunky teacher. I go, sure, let's do it. So I got into partnership with the University of Houston with this um, particular organ, uh, student for her senior project. Well, Katia wouldn't really talk to people. She didn't really hang out with people, but she started coming to the club. And But she only was doing the cleaning part. And it really bothered me because I was like, why are you doing the cleaning? Like, that's not a child's job. And she taught me how to honor people's cultures without looking down on them, but actually understanding the benefits that their culture has to offer. So I just, instead of telling her, don't do that, I just built a relationship. And we got to know each other. I got to learn her story. And she was a very active member of the organization. And she went on to become my daughter. And what she taught me was how my heart was necessary for my job. See, I was one of those educators that they told, don't smile until December. That didn't work out for me. And then all the older teachers looked at me like I was crazy because I was smiling and playing music and trying to bring culture into my classroom. And yeah, I had some behavior problems, but you had to work through it. And so she taught me that I mattered and that my style mattered and that there was at least one person in that room that benefited from me actually saying hello to them or caring about who they are. Well, she went on to high school and we stayed in contact she graduated top 10% of her class and her first college acceptance letter came from the University of Houston. She is now a junior at U of H. She started out as a nursing major. And then she goes, mom, I think I'm gonna go into teaching. She is now a teacher. She's in the teacher track. She just did her first week of internship about two weeks ago. Um, says she wants to be a second grade teacher because she wants to be the type of teacher that I was for her. And because of her, I never let anyone tell me that my heart is not good enough for any space. I love it. Trinice, that's amazing. And thank you. And, and I'll let Dennis jump in with, with questions. But I got I just got one for you to reflect on, on that. Uh -huh. Because you did bring up, and I grew up under the 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 training system of, yeah, don't smile until, you know, Thanksgiving or whatever it was and mm -hmm. you know and, and those types of things and I'm like that's nonsense um you know but like when you think about culture like how do we take a posture or how did you discover to take a posture of kind of a being a cultural learner mm -hmm. and to accept that like hey help me understand who you are and where you're coming from as then you also get to discover who I am like, did, were there things or postures or just practices that you in all of those like different jobs you've done or since then have you, mm -hmm. like, would there be any suggestions you'd give people that say, hey, I discovered this in that process? So two things, one, empathy to my why. Um, so I, I am a follower of Christ. And so for me, being able to look at people the same way Jesus looks at me, because he was the most perfect man and he could have judged, but instead he was a storyteller and he invited you into 
seeing something and doing something differently because he had a heart to empathize with the people. And then number two is my why. Education changed the trajectory for my family. So I'm the first person in my family to graduate high school, get my bachelor's degree, get my master's degree. And now I'll be the first person to get my doctorate from Baylor University, Sikkim Bears. Um, and so I know the power that education had for me. And I also understand the power that education had for my people. I understand why my people as African-American people were stopped from learning because knowledge is truly power. And when you equip people with that knowledge, they can change the game. So I, I want kids to defy the odds because I did. And I did it through the vehicle of education. I love your story. Love everything about it. Yeah. And uh, I certainly love the, uh, the story you opened with. So a follow-up to what you're just saying. I love empathy. I know that I, I love that you... Uh, I love that you know your why. Um, I frequently say to our, our teacher candidates as well, hey, you can know the what all you, all you want, but mm -hmm. until you know your why, it won't keep you here on a hard day. Yeah. Right? If you don't right. know your why, after they hand you your hat, you'll, you'll wonder if you're coming back the next day and the next day and the next yep. day. Yeah. Um, so... You're, you start thinking, they have to be here. I have choices. <laughs> and so Very true. Uh, I love what you're saying. So here's my question to you. What do you say to your teachers, especially your new teachers who are coming in, um, and then maybe even your veterans, two or three things that you, you say to them about um, creating classroom culture? Because I, can, I know just from hearing you here, I've now known you for uh, 13 minutes. Um, <laughs> been a, a rich relationship um so <laughs> you and i both know whether you're veteran or whether you're new um culture in your classroom matters so yeah. what are some things that you're um some doing saying to your new and veterans to help them create a culture of attempt and possibility that's a great question I think the number one thing is humanizing everyone's experience. Um, and also understanding that every kid is walking in with an invisible backpack and we don't know what's inside of that backpack. But what we do know is that we can either add, we can either take things out of that backpack or we can add rocks to the backpack that's in there. Um, and also if you are feeling that tension, you need to ask yourself, where your competency level is on this particular thing and be willing to go back into the lab and, and bring some training. Um, and also um, I think implicit bias plays a lot, like a huge role in what we do. And a lot of times our heart is in the right place, um, but sometimes our bias makes us do things that hinder people instead of help them. And so for me, it's really being um, aware of why you're doing what you're doing. Like, do you, can you honestly answer why you're doing that? Because every time someone pulls me to the carpet, I can tell them why I'm doing it. And it's because I want to create an experience that kids want to thrive in, kids want to succeed in. Excellence is my motto. So how are you providing an atmosphere of excellence? How are you holding every kid accountable? How are you providing those scaffolds for kids to be successful? And then ultimately, behavior is a form of communication. 
what are they telling you? Because their behavior is telling you what, what's, what they need. Do they need attention? It, do they have frustration? Have you found the antecedent to that particular behavior before you write the kid off or before you call your admin team? What do you know about who that student is? So how are you, Trinice, you know, and, and, and in your, your, like your career trajectory along the way, like what are you discovering about being a leader and doing that with adults too? It's hard. <laughs> Number one, it's hard. Um, and I, uh, it's, yeah, it's hard. That's, that's what I'm learning. Um, but two, I also know that people honestly believe they're doing the right thing. And so as a leader, I have to ask myself, okay, if they honestly believe they're doing the right thing, do they have the right tools to do the right thing that they think they want to do? And am I willing to help them to get the tools that they need? Um, and, and so that's kind of what I do is I look at, all right, is this, a, uh, is this a skill thing? Is this a will thing? So I read Dr. Anthony Muhammad's book, Transformational Schools, and he talks about skill and will. If you have the skill and the will, I can help you. You know, and then also as a leader, recognizing I can't help everybody. I can't change everybody. I can just inspire you to look at something differently. Well, that's incredible. So give us a little bit of tidbit. I know you're a doctoral student, Ooh, yeah. right? And it's been, it's been, I think in a lot of ways, I've, I've had the opportunity to be on campus with you. And so I've watched uh -huh. you work. I've watched you engage. I've watched you do all these things. So there's the great joy. There's the great like difficulty of, of some of the work that you've gone through. Yeah. But, but give us a little picture into what you're researching and what you're discovering, <laughs> because, because it is, I think, around some of these bigger questions that, that you want to lean into as a professional as well. Yeah. So my research is centered around uh, discipline, student discipline, and the disproportionality that African-American students experience. So we see that black kids are three to four times more likely to get kicked out of a space. Well, well then that, what happens to them academically? To, what happens to them socially? They're willing, they're gonna drop out. Um, they're more likely to go through that school to prison pipeline. And so I look at, look, I'm looking at the fact of APs are the ones that hand out most of the discipline. Who trains them? And so I am looking at Dr. Um, Khalifi Muhammad's work, Culturally Responsive School Leadership, and I've unpacked this framework to look at what do APs need to do differently. And so I'm designing a checklist um, that is based on critical self-reflection that will serve as a guardrail for people's implicit bias, because your bias plays a huge role in your decision-making. So I think and that's what I'm gonna study. And so my model is using improvement science. And so the first thing I want APs to do is to look at their data, their discipline data um, and desegregate it by race. And then I want them to take the Harvard IAT so they can see where is their bias. And then look at the, talk about it, debrief it, really reflect on what that means and the implications it has had on their discipline decisions. And then engage in the process of using the culturally responsive uh, uh, self-checklist and looking at slowing down as you're making your decisions to ensure your bias is not running that decision, but you're actually looking at the behavior matching with what exactly do you want to see changed for that student. And then reflecting on that process, and hopefully we can see 
that um, the discipline for black students, the disproportionate discipline will decrease um, and, and black kids have a chance to be in the classroom. APs hold a lot of power. Indeed, that's, that is incredibly powerful. Um, so maybe getting us as, as we're getting ready to kind of close our conversation with you, I'm curious, as you know, in, in, in schools that are effective, the more we can push um, ownership and opportunity into the classroom with the mm -hmm. teachers, that's the teacher's the backbone. Teachers, yep. super important. How do you help um, sponsor a movement from, you know, from the top principal APs and diffuse it into the classroom to say, teachers, I want to help you folks be active participants of your own rescue and also serve as ambassadors to kids of all colors, all abilities, all, all, all means all, right? So right. you want, we want to build, um, let's build a door where there was a wall and let's help them to yeah. their next thing. But they can't do that if the APs and the principals are the only ones doing it. So how do right. you help infuse that, um, that opportunity into your teachers? That's a great question. Um, number one, I model it. So I set the tone for modeling. I believe every situation can be handled at a tier one through educating. So right now um, I've seen some spikes in my fifth graders, right? Um, and I went to every classroom and I told them, yeah, I know what you're doing and we're gonna stop. That's number one, what I did. Number two, what I did is I believe in partnering with the community. So I sent a letter to all the fifth grade parents and I said, your student might not have been directly involved but I can tell you they were indirectly impacted. So that way it diffused any parent saying, that's not my kid. You're right, your kid might not have, but they were indirectly impacted. And so then I outlined the three top things that are happening and asked the parents to partner with us and have conversations with their kids. And then I sent it to the teachers and I said, hey, send this to your parents so that they now have a model of how to communicate with parents. And then I also tell them about why it's important to call that parent. When they're coming to me with something, I go, hey, did you call that parent? Hey, did you talk to the kid? Hey, did you do this? Um, I have teams that can step in so that that teacher and the student can have that restorative conversation. I have a restorative justice coach that comes in and, and models how to do circles. We have time embedded in our schedule for educators to do restorative circles in the morning. And I encourage them to do it. I celebrate the teachers that are, I share like what I saw in classrooms so that my teachers can feel empowered. But then also the biggest thing I think as leaders that you have to do is you have to be willing to show up when teachers have a tough case without judgment. So for me, some of these things aren't tough, but it is tough for that educator. So that's where the empathy comes in. Instead of judging them, I say, all right, so what is difficult about this situation? And yes, I am gonna step up and let parents know. I have parents that were like, well, parent, the teachers don't contact us. I said, because well, some of y'all are mean. Some of y'all are really, really mean. And who wants to deal with that? They just looked at me. I said, yes, I said it. I'm willing to say it. You're mean. And I think just being honest and building that trust between my educators and my, and my staff, um, I mean, and my parents. So if I send it to the parents, I'm going to send it to the teachers. Nope, it's all clear communication. I said, it's all of you. And I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. So that's kind of what I do. Trinice, 
number one, thank you. Thank you for your, your story. Thank you for the energy that you bring. Thank you for, you know, that encouragement to go after it, to know your why. And then thank you for just kind of just some of that, that push that sometimes we need to get back in there and get back after it. And so this is a blessing. Sick of bears and best, best of luck to you. Thank you. You guys have a good one. Well, thank you.